Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences of being a person of color in white spaces. Today's topic, the angry black woman, real fiction or a tool of white supremacies. Mammies, Jezebel, Sapphires, Black women in America have been dogged by negative stereotypes rooted in a history of racism, white supremacy, and enslavement. One that overtly continues to prevail is the angry Black woman. From Serena to Jamel Hill, Meghan Markle have all been characterized this way. Our guests today know a little something about this because they have been African-Americans their whole life. Our seasoned sage, Charmaine Clowney, attorney, speaker, author, and educator, is one of the nation's leading experts on employment law, federal contract anti-discrimination, compliance laws, harassment prevention, diversity, and organizational change. Charmaine has held executive vice chancellor leadership positions within prominent universities, including the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education Office of the Chancellor. She received her Bachelor's of Arts degree from the University of South Carolina and a JD with honors from John Marshall Law School in Atlanta. Stacey Daniel Summers. Stacey is a psychotherapist and consultant located in Northern Los Angeles County. She has extensive experience supporting children, adults, and families to explore, clarify, and find solutions for a variety of issues and concerns. Stacey has a bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and a master's of social work from the University of Michigan Social Work Program, the number one in the country. Stacey has also served in civic organizations, including the board of directors of the Girls on the Run of Daytona and the board of directors of Life Essentials, as well as being a chapter advisor for the Lambda chapter of Beta Theta Pi. Daughters, please welcome to the podcast, Charmaine Clowney and Stacey Daniel Summers. Woo! Applausing around. I am so glad that we are here I'm excited about being able to have a multi-generational um, conversation about this with me in my 50s and someone else in their late 30s and someone else in her <clears throat> retirement age seasoned. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'd just like to start with you maybe going back in your memory and the first time that you maybe recall either someone calling you angry or treating you in a way that depicted that there was something wrong with your frustration or you remember someone else um, being characterized that way. Charmaine, why don't you start? Okay, I'll start. It's interesting because this didn't happen until late in my career. And of course, being in the area of diversity and inclusion and higher ed, it was shocking. I was at, um, I, I've had many jobs, but, and I can, I'm not going to name the university, but I was an assistant vice chancellor of diversity. And on this particular male needed to get a report to me. And you're looking at, I'll even name the state, Pennsylvania. 
And I had uh, often noticed when I spoke out in meetings, Chancellor's meetings, he just looked at me in a very strange uh, way anytime I would say anything. So I went to his office and I asked him to to hand him in his affirmative action data status report. He looked at me and said, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do anything that you said. I said, well, please give it, give it to me. I, I need it. I was nice. I'm a Southerner, so I know how to talk to people. Okay. Very nice. Please, thank you. Um, and the next day, the chancellor, being a female, she happened to be a white female, called me in and said, um, I understand that you were very combative and very angry. And you would have gotten the report, but um, I'll name him Jim. It was not his real name said that it was the manner and style. You came across as an angry black woman. Mm. And that is the reason he was reluctant. He didn't like your style. And I explained to her that I didn't know what she was talking about and to call him in and we can talk about it. And then she told me at that point to watch it because when she hired me, uh, I came across as this nice Southern, uh, non-threatening. She said this to me, wow. and that to be careful, particularly with white males, because my voice tone could uh, convey Ooh. that I was angry. And I told her that that wasn't the case, and he was angry, not me, being mm-hmm. the, the attorney. And um, so that was my first experience with that sort of thing. And um, she just told me, it, it, it was almost as if I was being boxed in to be docile, subservient. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was, I was very shocked. And during meetings, um, I, I didn't speak up or speak out as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was shocking that he would characterize that and that she would uh, take his word against mine after interacting with me for almost two years. So that was my first experience, combative, angry. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. What about you, Stacy? So um, I am sure that it's happened before this time, but I wasn't aware of it. I don't think that's what I would call it. My, I'll start with actually going back. My, my mom is also, I'm a social worker. My mom's also a social worker. And I would hear her at the dinner table talking about the ways in which she finessed things at work. She's very measured and careful at work. Um, She let me know when she was angry at home. (laughs) And so I remember thinking about that as a kid, that she had to kind of be careful. Um, So I I think because of that, I also had pretty good skills to um, navigate spaces like that. My mom sort of taught me well in some ways that's been very helpful and in some ways I've had to kind of unpack a lot of that. But it was actually with uh, working when I was working with you, Stacy, that I think that was the first time that someone actually named that mm-hmm. to me when I when Stacy was my supervisor at my first job out of college. There was somebody there who 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 struggled. A lot of folks struggled, but there was someone particularly who I, I struggled with until we eventually worked it out, which was wonderful. Uh, but in my first year there, um, they actually named my tone as difficult. That's what it came across as. I was difficult. Um, and I don't experience myself as a difficult person. It definitely stuck out to me. I also experienced it sort of similar to what Charmaine said in experiencing other people's anger and noticing that behavior and then really reflecting on the how that, if I were to do that, it would be handled much differently and being very aware of that dynamic. Hmm. 
That's interesting. I, I think my first experience of it that is kind of like it went past me, but as I think about it now, uh, and, and what I most connected to are um, weaponized tears um, in high school. So I went to um, a high school on the main line of Philadelphia, Charmaine. And so with rich or wealthy or well-to-do um, white women or girls, we were all girls at the moment, um, and, and remembering challenging someone and then the tears. And then also um, certainly after I, I went to an HBCU, so that was not really a part of my experience so much then, maybe a little bit, but not so much. And, and, and then in my master's program, um, challenging, on, and certainly my PhD program, challenging um, stereotypes and um, misnomers and racist thinking, and then having that bought back on me as I made, I mean, and I made someone cry. And so um, that that's kind of one of my really first experiences. And it feels like that theme has continued to be pervasive for me um, in that. So what comes to mind for you when you think about the angry Black woman and that caricature? That she's always ready to fight. Mm-hmm. She's emotional. Mm-hmm. That um, that she's looking for a fight, but it's a myth mm-hmm. um, that she's uh, uh, responding to racism always. But mm-hmm. When you when you think about it, um, white women uh, can have emotional reactions regardless of how inappropriate mm-hmm. or outlandish they can be. For example, um, a white woman might be characterized, and I've seen this as, "Oh, she's ha- she has a headache." It's it's rationalized. Mm-hmm. Um, if particularly in the workplace, and that's what I do, um, I handle employment situations where is a, a, if a, an African American woman displays the same behavior, um, she's difficult. She's out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, But to get to the genesis, where does that come from? That comes from a a basis of racism itself since slavery Mm -hmm. and and racist stereotypes. Even I'll say Aunt Esther media Mm. that certain white people have been imbued with all their lives to keep us in a box, to marginalize us, to keep mm-hmm. us docile, mammy from gone with the wind. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're supposed to be this, uh, these un- unemotional, um, not having displaying no emotional mm-hmm. emotions and we're punished for it. Even I've seen performance reviews, which are supposed to be arbitrary, speak to a black woman's she's, she's difficult out of control, but nothing to, explain what that means mm-hmm. so that's um that to me that's that but it's myth and it keeps it, it kept being perpetuated until we had a more diverse i'd say even in media role models on tv or mm-hmm. what have you so we are we're in a box we're not black men and we're not white women right. so we are sort of like in this box and it's done to demean to marginalize to keep us in a box you bet yeah stace do you know who aunt esther is Yes, I do. <laughs> you want to respond to what comes to mind for you when you think about this notion of the the angry black man? She did a wonderful job of, of sort of covering most of it. I think the things that stuck out to me is that it's irrational. Mm. So there's a of rational emotion and irrational. 
And because it's um, it's viewed to be our main go-to tool or the, or the caricatures or the tropes main go-to tool of dealing with conflict, that it's irrational. So you go there before necessary. Mm-hmm. It's automatically, let's take the earrings off mm-hmm. because you said and 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 that it's 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 almost like it's impossible for us to or for 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 that that character to to use any other tool for managing any sort of conflict or dissonance or emotion. Um, so those are the things that jump out at me is is just sort of um, the ways in which it gets further. So if you push and say, well, you know, everybody gets angry, uh, then it's like, well, but but you can jump faster to that anger than other people, mm-hmm. um, that kind of idea. But I would also say um, that anger is not really seen as, um, it's still not seen as a productive emotion in, in many parts of our society. Mm-hmm. So I, I was reading a book that my uh, my friend and I are trying to figure out a dialogue process, and he wanted me to read a book that's, that would be different from my experience of having dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's a book uh, called How to Have Difficult Conversations, and it's written by um, some folks who, um, uh, Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay, who are notoriously against sort of the idea of critical race theory, or not, maybe not against, but but criticize it, challenge it. And so in the book several times, it talks about how if you you get any whiff of anger, back off, it's done. And it's like, well, how can you have any difficult conversation if you if you back off from anger every time, you'll never get anywhere because that's going to come up. That's why it's difficult. So I just want to point that out as well, that anger in itself, um, when you think about the, the tears, weaponized tears, it's, it's about sadness then and feeling um, like it's been, there's been an affront. Um, anger is still something that's really troubling for mm-hmm. folks. Well, and I, and I think that to me, part of the issue is that the dominant narrative uh, for white people um, really puts in uh, has a notion of how one must process their emotions exactly and mm-hmm. uh, and that it's supposed to look a certain certain way and anything beyond that is pathologized okay. completely yeah mm-hmm. as yeah. as if they are creating the rules for us to play yeah. by right they are creating the norms and social norms mm-hmm. and when you go outside of those norms, uh, and I've seen it done when one questions or challenges a white authority figure, as I mm-hmm. was doing mm-hmm. in that situation. All of a sudden, it's used to get back at you or that mm-hmm. how dare you question yes. the, the the privilege. It, it really em, it emanates yeah, from white privilege. Right. You can, we, we have to talk about this in, within the context of privilege. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Well, and, and, and I think that other cultures um, have more of a space or a continuum around anger in a way that we don't, either it's zero or 60, either you're nice and you're docile and you're sweet, or you're not, you're angry, right? And uh, which, of course, excludes the entire middle um, versus um, someone who's passionate or having a hard time in their lives or um, struggling that that I don't know that um, African American women are granted those same type of um, clemencies, if you will, in the same way that some of our white counterparts are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what's your sense about how it impacts you personally? 
Oh, it's been so long since I've been been in that space. <laughs> Being my own, a retired, but like when when that happened, that incident I described, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it made me feel marginalized, and it back then it was a younger day of my career. Um, I didn't want to say anything or speak mm-hmm. up. Um, uh, or it it it, it, it was almost a, a mental illness, mm-hmm. passive, and mm-hmm. I felt that to get along, and that's why I left that environment. In that environment, I had to overly assimilate mm-hmm. and maybe take on characteristics of another culture, the white overly culture. Assimilate. Overly assimilate. assimilate. I just need um, to highlight that. Uh, overly assimilate. I had to be culturally white and racially black, mm. um, and and white meaning. Uh, I think the psychologist, low context and high context. We we uh-huh. come from a high context. I think it was Edward e. G. That's Hall. Correct. Hall. I'm not. A, I'm not. I, I teach it sometimes. Long time ago, and um, so I had to to shift gears, and I, it made me feel like I started having PTSD of step and fetch it. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, that y'all don't know about that, y'all. Y'all uh, no. of I had to be one way with my friends mm-hmm. and passionate about issues, but the moment. I drove into that workplace. I turned off the music, walked in, and acted like a robot. And it was mm-hmm. not good for that. Wasn't good for mental health. Sure, uh, sure, it was overly assimilation of emotions. And when you do that, you have high blood. My research says it high blood pressure. So yeah. I stayed in that environment for six years. And the more I assimilated, the the more I got along, mm-hmm. and well, raises, raises, and so forth. So I'm coming to the conclusion that do. Black folks who move up the corporate ladder and become CEOs, do they have to relinquish the passion and the energy that might come from our culture in order to do that? Is that the price we have to pay? Um, It would be good to study those who have succeeded in predominantly white environments to see whether they have actually traded off some of the passions. I don't want to stereotype. It, it, this is a hard thing to talk about without stereotyping, but mm-hmm. we ha- we are a mm-hmm. passionate, high context culture. We are. Many yeah. of us yeah. are more high context than others. Mm-hmm. But if you look at some of the folks I've seen move up the corporate ladder, they're very measured. They're very um, cerebral. And I'm wondering, except for in a, a predominantly black company, um, what a black, you know, uh, look, look at the folks who move up. Is that is that the big trade off? I mm-hmm. ask myself. Well, how would you answer that? Just um, po- possibly. I'm mm-hmm. looking at um, a Colin Powell. Mm. I'm looking at, uh, I think, the uh, African-American woman from Xerox. I've forgotten, forgotten her name. Very, very measured. Very, very passionate. But I'm also looking at some of the Gen Xers who are now moving into um, positions and they don't trade off. And I think that was a, there was a line of demarcation because of George, George Floyd. Maybe we're now allowed in your generation to be who we are, mm-hmm. but maybe in my generation, that was the trade off. We had to be whiter than white. We had to be overly white in our, I mean, in our, in our emotions and mm-hmm. our articulations and our not saying, Hey girl at a meeting, ah, oh, sit down. That kind of thing. Um, so um, it would be interesting to, to study that, but it, it's it's overly assimilation. That's mm-hmm. how I felt, mm-hmm. even to the point of my dress. I mean, I started wearing designer suits, designer that, and um, okay, I'm a, I'm gonna be whiter than white. If you if mm-hmm. you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and yeah, really. How are you? Whatever, as my daughter would say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
and and I was successful in that environment, but not happy mm-hmm. after after that commitment. Well, and I think that's part of the cost is um, is that you end up feeling more silenced, feeling um, like you need to scrunch yourself. I don't even know if that's a word, but scrunch yourself <laughs> I like into it. this other way of functioning. It highlights the bicultural swing, if you will, that you have your feet in two worlds um, and you're unhappy. Stacey, what about you? What's your sense about what the impact of it has been on you? Well, uh, no matter how I act, I can't be myself. Mm. Or it's not to be myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm naturally not not particularly, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm measured. That's just how I am. It could be a function of growing up where I grew up in a predominantly white area. It could be my personality. I don't know. But even with folks who share my racial identity, uh, if I'm not behaving in a certain way then it's assumed that I am trying to assimilate or I'm colluding. Uh, If I am a certain way, then the trope of being angry or loud comes up. So I feel like for me, there's no winning Mm. uh, because I can never be enough of one or the other. And it can't, uh, even in myself, it's almost like, well, is this how I am? Would I have been different? But we could all ask that question Mm -hmm. about, you know, how we were raised have been different so you know it's part of saying you know this is the way that things come out of my mouth and it is what it is and trying to be in a place of acceptance around that and it's sort of like the conversation not to go out too far off top about about hair about if i'm you know if i'm natural then that means one thing if my hair is straightened that means another thing and neither context can I just do what I want to do mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. all of it has meaning ascribed meaning to it it just can't be how I want to wear my hair today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I feel about existing as a black woman in general no matter what I do there is assumed context or applied context to it that it just can't be this is how I exist in my space um, and that that's that's a never-ending battle for me. It's it's interesting for me. You said Gen X earlier, Charmaine. Mm-hmm. I guess am I Gen X or am I? I think I am. I'm pretending millennial. Probably no, no, no. I'm a, no, I'm an Xer. Xer, I'm, yeah. And I'm fifty yeah. something, fifty three. Yeah. So um, I feel that I am oftentimes I am more authentic than I'm not, and it gets me in trouble sometimes. But what I will say is I don't yell. I am um, I am very choiceful about the language that I use. I am um, very, I, even in my speech, there are times that I just slow myself down so that I am choosing my words very, very wisely. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I am training as a diversity trainer, I just say, that's racist. Um, like, but that's what you're paying me to come in to say mm-hmm. versus where I live and work that I find myself a little bit more timid around that. And so um, I went to get a colonoscopy on Friday. And as I was coming around the corner, the anesthesiologist was waiting for me. And he says, I love your hair. And then he starts moving towards me. And so I, you know, I duck and dodge and do the thing that we do to not have our hair touched. And, um, and he says, is that all your hair? 
Oh Lord. So I'm thinking, so this guy is about to have major drugs over me. And I'm going to be completely unable to do anything for myself. This is how Michael Jackson died, right? Like this is all in my head, right? And so however I answer this, either I'm going to deal with it or however I deal with it would be very, very delicate, right? Because I don't want to die from a colonoscopy, right? You need him to be delicate too. I do, I do. I said, I don't don't think you're supposed to ask me that. (laughs) And I kind of chuckled. Now, but what I find is that sometimes I do use humor to try to balance some of that at times. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little something. Um, but there are times that I am angry mm-hmm. and I'm still black. Yeah. And that's okay. Uh-huh. And there is a such thing as diversity within diversity, which mm-hmm. I don't think that certain white people realize it's okay to be measured. It's okay to, um, to be an extrovert. I'm an extrovert. It's okay to code switch or what have you. Yes, we are as yeah. diverse Bet. as white folks. But Charmaine, let me ask you this. What do you do? And both of you, what do you do with your anger? Because there are moments that you are hyper frustrated or super frustrated, as this generation would say, right? Super frustrated. Um, and how do you... You go in a room and you... <laughs> I know where you're going with it. You go in a room and you grab... A hand. I had the pleasure of working with another black woman as a boss. It was mm. the most pleasurable experience. Mm-hmm. And we had two mm-hmm. other black women on staff and mm-hmm. we were the best OFCCP office. And I'm going to tell you, the white uh, executive could call us and we could hang up and go, girl, did you hear what he said? What uh-huh. have you? Mm-hmm. And it was an easy, oh, it was so wonderful expressing the anger. But in predominantly white environments, um, I would just go outside and scream or, or, uh, go home and party or call one of my girlfriends and ventilate. It's very, mm-hmm. one must have a support system mm-hmm. um, to ventilate. And I asked what did my mom, my mom was a teacher and in that generation, she's 93. How did they, they couldn't be angry. Right. And right. so no they, they, she said that they just had buddies and they talked about it on the weekend and they let it go and they had the church mm-hmm. is what, yes. yeah, they That's had a, a, a great foundation in, and what have you, but uh, we all may, may handle it differently. I don't think mm-hmm. that there's a cookie cutter way I don't either. Of, of handling it because we're all diverse and we're all different people. Well, and I don't even think it's a cookie cutter for me because one situation in one season in time is how I respond to it one time, maybe different how I, the next time I respond to the exact same situation, even in the midst of my anger. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about supervising people. Um, in a second. But Stacey, I don't know if you wanted to poke in here about uh, what do you do with that anger? So um, all at what you said, uh, talk to friends. Um, I can remember many times as a very, very young professional going into Stacey's office and just being like, what do I do with this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so because being very, I mean, I was 20, 21, 22. Yeah, so yeah. there was that dynamic of just not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've had since then, including Stacy, wonderful supervisors, actually a diversity of supervisors who've been very helpful in that. So I, I'm excited you're going to talk more about that experience too. The other thing I decide is if I need to say something. And that's about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to provide you feedback, I'm going to be vulnerable. 
not everybody is entitled to my vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I attempt to be authentic with everybody, but I do not have to be vulnerable with everybody. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite mentors, uh, Roger Fisher from University of Michigan, once told me that feedback is one of the best gifts you can give somebody. Mm -hmm. And so if it's someone that I have, um, as they say in uh, the four agreements, I have given enough, they have enough marbles in their jar then I might decide to give them feedback about my experience, not expecting necessarily behavior change or not expecting anything, just knowing that for me to give that feedback was important. So I make that decision too, in addition to all that you all said as well. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. And I think it is important to be choiceful about that. I think it's important to fight, to spend more, if you're going to have to um, advocate champion for something, or fight for it, let's just call it what it is, that you pick mostly the battles that are winnable. And to, to be careful to not allow your anger, your frustration, your racial trauma to have you swatting at the wind, right? And fighting battles that could potentially be unwinnable. But like, I'm always asking myself the question, um, how much social capital do I want to spend on this? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and in meaning um, my credibility, my integrity, my energy, my emotional capacity to deal with it in the moment, like how much how much am I willing to spend? And that helps me really figure out how and where I dispense that anger. Mm-hmm. Part of what also makes it important as well. And I asked the question about what you do with it, because. Therapists talk about depression as anger turned inward on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I will say to my sisters who are listening to the broadcast at this point that it's very, very important to not eat both figuratively and literally eat that anger. That there's got to be a place that you dispense it and you lay it at the feet of Jesus or you meditate through it or you call your girlfriend and you say, girl, 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 girl. Or maybe you cuss somebody out like Kurt Franklin cussed his son out this weekend, <laughs> like whatever you need to do. But that, um, but that, that holding on to it is not good for you, as Charmaine said earlier. Yeah. I also, yeah. Um, just jumping in here, I also, um, and maybe that's the attorney in me, um, I start competing. And mm-hmm. some of my best work in that university environment, I published a paper with Damon Williams. Mm-hmm. I, we, we, I won awards. I'd say, okay, fine. I'm going to go back to the old civil rights movement my mother taught me and maybe the Stacey Abrams, I'll show you. Mm-hmm. And the more I did that, people started backing off. It, it's, it's, maybe it's a personal thing, but I tend to, to take it into a competitive mode or start doing my best work, best more speaking engagement, something that makes me feel good. And maybe that's not, maybe, and, it, and it's taking negative energy and putting it into positive things. Or maybe, I think uh, I also volunteer with groups. I start doing things creatively, painting, drawing, playing the flute, or even publishing. Um, and, but it's almost like, okay, you want to mess with me? Okay, here's the work. <laughs> Right. It, it's it's a Stacey. That's I think that's what um Stacey Abrams did too in Georgia. So exactly. So exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a that's a that's a feel good. <laughs> it is a feel good. It's it's definitely definitely a feel good. Let me ask this. 
I have been trying personally to be more aware of the spaces and places where I end up feeling triggered or that I find myself feeling the most frustrated. And I'm wondering if you think about over time, times where you've been angry in predominantly white environments, what is the thing that trips that for you? And what do you know about yourself from that? So let me give you an example of mine. Let me put myself out there first. So when, so I worked very, 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 and I'm not saying nobody else worked hard, but what I do know is that in order to get my degree, to get licensed, it was a uphill battle. I failed comps three times, twice, passed the third time. I had to take my licensing exam three times that, that, I mean, I have scrimped and I have, I have come up the rough side of the mountain in the most gully way, Right. And that I continue to work hard to sit in the seat. So when people question or it appears that someone is questioning my ability to sit in the seat or my worthiness to sit in the seat, I find that I want that I am angry. What I was going to say that I want to place my hands around their neck and squeeze. Mm -hmm. Um. But that sounds like an angry black woman. That's right. <laughs> so I find that I, that is a time that I am super annoyed, mm-hmm. uh, and that I and what I'm aware of is that yes, it is it is what's happening outside of me. But sometimes it's about me and my stuff as well, and trying to decipher those things. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. For you, I'll because I it's the same. It's the exact same. I get upset, angry when someone questions uh, what I what I know I know. I know I don't know a lot. <laughs> That's right. I know I don't know a lot, but there are a few things that I know, and I don't know all of it, but I know it well enough to do my job, to speak on it, um, including my own experience. I know that pretty well. I know that better than anybody. So when those moments when somebody challenges that or perceives me to be dumb, mm. mm-hmm. that's when uh, that's when it, it becomes a, a something. Yeah. Uh, so 100 percent, very, very similar to what you shared. Mm-hmm. I, I echo everything you say and, and uh, said, and I must admit, now that I'm retired, it's so freeing to be one's own boss. And to be a consultant. Um, but what triggers me and angers me is seeing other women or people of color being discriminated against mm-hmm. uh, in the workplace or and, 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 and disparate treatment. That's my area or being mm-hmm. tr- wrongly treated or unfairly. And maybe that's because I'm a product of the South, grew up in a segregated environment, um, civil rights movement. But uh, but to sit back and see also microaggressions or aggression or aggressive behaviors or implicit bias um, enacted upon um, so cavalierly that mm. angers me. And uh, at this juncture in my career or maybe in the career that I had at the very end, end of it, I'd say something As, rather than become angry. 
I would say, you know what? I don't like what you said. <laughs> or that, and that I, I felt that the anger dissipated so quickly when I was able to not hold it in. In the and, moment. And, mm-hmm. In the moment. And yep. I wasn't angry, but I, I just, I confronted whatever was bothering me and ailing me and said, you know what? What you said was really not nice with a smile. And, and this is why. So that, those, the, yeah, the disparate treatment and discrimination um, bothers me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are two questions I have in my head. Let me ask this one. Has there been a moment in your own trajectory in predominantly white environments that you found that you were not measured and that you, uh, that you were fully congruent and authentic that the fire that was happening on the inside was being shared with the outside. And so that you really let somebody have it. Um, I, I wonder if you can talk some about that and what you learned from it. Hmm. It has happened for me a few times that I can think of. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it wasn't as um, bombastic as I think, uh, I felt like it was. I think I felt like I was like, wow, but really I was still using all of the, well, I just really feel, and, and this is just this. And I was still, but it felt like it was as probably as, as, as much as I could get probably. And um, afterwards and, and still, I decided I, it's okay. Mm. Like end of the day, that's what I want. I want people to be allowed to be human uh-huh. Uh-huh. and not have it be that they get a strike against them for having a human moment. Because uh-huh. uh-huh. um, losing your cool is going to be something that happens to everyone. There is nobody in the world who does not lose their cool at some point. So for me living in a place of acceptance, and I will say this, I have always had jobs. I've been very fortunate. Um, I have always had jobs, even in the jobs that I've had where it hasn't been perfect or hasn't been good. The people who I've worked with and for have always cared for, about me. Mm. Always had that. And so I have not had repercussions for my mistakes. I know others have mm. and continue to. So I just need to acknowledge that, you know, my experience of it is very different. Even in my last job for a startup company, um, my boss, uh, when I would have my moment, she was like, I just want you to be okay. And we would talk about it. And she's not someone in diversity world. She's not a university. I worked in universities for most of my career or as a therapist. She was not that. She was a civil engineer who started companies. That was what she did. Mm. And even at the end of that day, she cared about me and said, you're allowed to be human. You're allowed to mess up. And, and she was like, I know you'll do better. I know that you'll try out, always do your best. I've always had that. Nice. I have not had experience, and I and I, I want to credit that there's been a lot of progress to get to the place where I can say that. Mm-hmm. And even though it still happens in other spaces, I've just been really fortunate. Mm-hmm. 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 Charmaine, thank you, Stacey. Well, um, uh, I guess in most of the, uh, most of my jobs, I've been my authentic self, and it's gotten me in trouble. Yes, I filed lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I can, and one, all of them, all of them. Uh, and I can talk about it now. Um, and awesome. um, so, again, I, I guess my style of handling things, being an attorney, is evidentiary. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get angry anymore. I get mm-hmm. back. 
Um, so Ooh. during a performance review, um, I think that uh, a manager, I, be, I became I a little upset. I gotta stop you just for a minute. I just, uh -huh. need to, I just need to just hang with that. I don't get angry. I get back. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Uh, well, well. Mike's being dropped all over the internet. Um, so, um, and the performance review was patently unfair. And so, um, instead of getting angry, I, I just kind of sat there and maybe I said, can I be excused? And I came back and had all my files and evidence and they had to change the performance review. Wow. Um, and then on a, another situation, I was unfairly, um, again, metric on a performance review, mainly for advocating for black folks and handling discrimination. That, that the price we used to pay back in compliance, the sure. old EEO officers would mm -hmm. always get in trouble and be accused of helping folks. So I filed, um, I filed a big old employment discrimination case and got six figures and moved on, you know, um, and, and, and you can't, you have to be fearless. And I was not blackballed. And I ended up being hired by the person who had gone to school with the person who hired me who didn't like that person. So mm. you've got <laughs> to be fearless and don't get angry, get mm -hmm. even, get, wow. get, get uh, or either succeed and um, be your, be your best because I do believe in karma. Um, so I guess in the last 10 years of my career, I became, I, I know more people pleasing. I became my authentic self, um, more so than with all the experience and so forth. And again, the experience of working with another African-American woman was so relaxing. It was interesting and relaxing and um, so supportive. Um, and we now have a company and we are, are, what do we do? We advise other universities in terms of affirmative action plans and so forth, but don't, don't, yeah, just, just chill. It's, it's, there's no need for that because we have legal leverages now um, <laughs> if we feel discriminated against. And some people don't like to pull those leverages, but mm -hmm. they are there. And especially now in this time of uh, everybody's being hired as a diversity officer and all this guilt going on. <laughs> Have you noticed? Um, hey, we we got keys to the kingdom now in mm -hmm. terms of negative publicity, that publicity to companies. Mm -hmm. So that anger can, should be channeled, uh, ch channeled now. Um, back in the day when I started, no, but now it's mm -hmm. a I'm a different Charmaine, mm -hmm. <laughs> not the same. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's true for most women. That the older you get, the more you grow into yourself into your full self. And it's like, well, world, good luck. Um, because this is who I am in this moment. Um, I think one of the ways where I feel most challenged is in how my stimulus value as a supervisor can at times feel complicated. And that my frustration is really something that needs to be managed really well. I feel like when I'm dealing with white supervisees. And that's been the case since I have been in leadership, that, that's, that I am hyper aware of my own, and because most of the people that I have supervised have been white. And, and oftentimes white men, not only, but also white women. And so when I am frustrated, I, I've not, I don't know that I've ever said I'm angry with you about this even if I am livid 
about something. I don't know if this resonates for either one of you. Um, yeah, I would never, ever, ever uh, express any anger, particularly to a um, many of the white individuals I supervise. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I strictly played it by the book for fear of litigation, for fear mm. of, of going behind. Mm-hmm. My, and I've seen it and I lived it going behind my back to the, 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 the white supervisor above me or somebody mm-hmm. higher and playing the good old boy and good old girl. And all of a sudden I'm the um, and, and I'm at the other end of a lawsuit. So I strictly, when I'm supervising anyone, white, black, or what have you, I strictly play it by the rules, the books, the policies, and the procedures. In fact, I become more office, probably officious when I'm supervising whites because so, of the, of so the history me, so of what, slavery. Right. And, and, so and, what do you say then? What do you, how do you hold people accountable then? Because that's part of your job in you, being a supervisor. You hold people accountable is, through rules, regulations, and policies. On such and such a date, you did this. On such and such a date, I have the evidence that you do that, that you do that. And you coach and counsel. You don't coach, uh, coach, coach and counsel. This is mm-hmm. not uh, mean-spirited. And that's the terminology, talent management. In fact, I'm doing something now for the University of Wisconsin Medicine. Interesting. Um, but coaching and counseling, that I'm not here. I'm here to make you better a better person. Mm-hmm. This I'm pointing out this, this is mm-hmm. the, the, the way it should be. If you needed additional training, fine. But I am super hyper when I'm supervising white individuals because of the fear of retaliation, discrimination, or implicit bias. But I treat everybody basically um, um, mm-hmm. the same. And I don't use any other tone than I use with, with what have you, but it is a coaching. I start up, this is a coaching and counseling. Don't take it for anything else and progressively work through it. So I don't mm-hmm. have any, yeah. any, is, any issues in the government. Well, that's good. Yeah. I don't have any, any, any issues, but I am more uh, cognizant when I'm supervising a white male or white female for, because of the history of um, taking something out of context or going back behind my back to their supervisor and getting me in trouble. So I tend to dot my, maybe that's the attorney in me, dot all T's and cross all I's and, and coaching counsel within that context and never becoming angry with any, any um, employee. Yeah. So that's it's really, funny that's really because helpful. I've been Stacey, supervised you by say? you. And you can cut this out in editing if you want to. You have. But... <laughs> <laughs> There was this a is gonna time be good. that I, I did something and I knew it was going to make you angry. But I told you it was what I felt like. I didn't. I felt like I needed to do something mm-hmm. about the, whatever it was. And um, you mm-hmm. told me that it made you feel angry. You did. But um, did I? Mm-hmm. But that's that piece about vulnerability. That was our relationship was it was it was almost like it was a privilege for you to just sort of say it out the way it was that you were close enough to me and I was close enough to you that we could authentically engage with each other for the betterment of each other uh was a gift and and when you when you told me what you need to do you weren't you weren't rude about it you were just authentic it was just very authentic and I was authentic back and we cried and all that mess and we had a whole thing but, but I remember this. I completely, I, I couldn't tell you what the content was or anything. And I'm leaving it in. Both of us learned from that. Mm. Um, you mentioned how you learned at the time. I still remember. I'm, I remember it very well. And I have always learned from that. 
And so in some ways, you know, having the ability to be honest in the right environment can be really helpful because learning can happen in a really wonderful way that does not happen everywhere. And so, but you were not just sharing it because you were upset. You were sharing it for my benefit. So back to what Mm. Armaine was saying, and I told you what I had to say for your benefit as a supervisor. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't just Mm -hmm. about me needing to air my grievances or you need to air your grievances. It was for the benefit of each other that that coaching and counseling that was there. And so I just wanted mm-hmm. to echo it because it, as I was, it automatically popped in my head when you said it. And wow. then when yeah, Kathleen wow. said what she said, that was the crux of it. And so at the end of the day, when I'm supervising, I have to parcel out what do I need to do for the benefit of this supervisee to help them do what they need to do to help them grow. I might have ideas about goals they have and all kinds of stuff um, to help them get their jobs, to help them manage their job and also to help them grow. And in that moment, Mm -hmm. that was the right call to share with me how you felt. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. But you are not a, uh, you're not a white woman. I had that same situation. But but still, but the, the point was still, no matter who it is, it's to the benefit of them. So again, that mm. vulnerability, I, I was, you let me in because you trusted me. And that I'm, I mean, we're black women. We both five foot tall and we named Stacy. So we had a lot in common. We used to, just, we did have a lot. We have common. a lot in common. So we, yeah, had, yeah. so we had different relationships, but even still, the thing that persists across no matter what your supervisor looks like is in what way do you manage your own emotion? And then in what is you talking about, um, what do I need to do to help them manage their position, manage their job, as Charmaine said, and help them if, if you if you can get past just managing the job to help them grow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that sure. can, I, I had the same, yeah. The Go same ahead, situation with my African American black manager. Same thing. In fact, we have a company together now. We could be authentic. I made her angry. She made me angry. We talked about it. But that was in the dynamic of two black women who had had similar experiences of racism. And we knew who the people who were um, playing the game with us, who would who would use that against us if it leaked. So we could be authentic with each other. But I'm telling you, um, with when you're managing people white or black, like you can't be that way. I, I could not be that way, particularly with the white males I managed because mm-hmm. we were in a union environment and sure. they also would d- do that. So I was extremely officious and extremely by the book and extremely measured. I could never afford to be angry because it would be used against me and taken out of context. And that, 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 that is just the way it is. You got to know who you can be vulnerable with. And that same black woman and I have a company together and Mm -hmm. because of the, of the sharing of emotions and so forth. And um, we moved on, but I think it's, I do think it's a bit different when you are a black manager managing white men and white women. Not everybody's entitled to your vulnerability. They are. That's. I love that. I love that. Everybody's not entitled to your vulnerability. I like That's that. Mm-hmm. Me too. So let me let me ask this: uh, What would you tell your younger self? So what would you tell your younger self about this angry black woman description? 
as you think about what you know now? Chill out. Chill out. It's going mm-hmm. to be okay. You don't need to waste mm-hmm. as much energy and time taking this stuff home to your husband or what have you. It's it, it, it that it just go somewhere and play tennis or what what have you. But it doesn't des- whatever you're angry about or, or whatever triggered that doesn't deserve all of the attention and energy mm-hmm. that you put into it. Because guess what, you had a you had to fight for everything just like you you did, Stacy. Um, and eventually the battles were won and eventually you got to the other side mm-hmm. and I got mm-hmm. to see the karma of certain people who triggered that anger. And I do believe in karma now. Um, I got to see them get theirs and it's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you said that like a true Southern belle. It's so sweet. And bless your heart. <laughs> yes. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Uh-huh. Bless their hearts. Amazing <laughs> did it wonderfully. That's exactly what I was talking about okay. my younger self. So what's the one thing, if you had one thing that you could tell white people about being, how to make environments more inclusive and equitable and more anti-racist, what would be your one thing? You've got to understand that you are operating from a position of white privilege. And when you understand Mm -hmm. that um, and you're able to open up and you understand the dynamic and that racism has been used to conquer and divide and to justify treating people of color as some kind of other, um, when you get to that, uh, you'll be fine. And then I'll ask you to read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson and also... How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. And there's another one called Overcoming Bias by Tiffany Jana. Um, and, and she's written something called um, Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Mm-hmm. But you've got mm-hmm. to understand um, your privilege within the context of this country and, uh, and slavery. And that's, that's what I would, would advise. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Stacey? I would say that the inner work is so important. So in my generation right now and low and younger, so I'm not the youngest generation anymore. uh, It's not, it's a lot about action right now, not being performative, but sometimes in your efforts to not be performative without doing your inner work, you are doing the most performative stuff that you can do. Posting on Facebook is, is, can be performative. Uh, so I would say, um, I would tell white folks to do the inner work and acknowledge that people of color, POCs are also doing their own inner work too. We're not exempt from the inner work. We're all doing it. It looks different, but do your inner work and we are also doing ours too. Good. Okay. So listen, question for you. The, the angry black woman fact Fiction or a tool of white supremacy? We'll end here. Fiction and a tool, a total tool of white supremacy. A total tool. It, it, it fails to accept that we are diverse. It marginalizes. It's a control mechanism. Um, okay. And it, it fails to recognize that uh, Black women are di- as diverse. We can be angry. We can be that. It fails to say that we have emotions. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, our experiences are unique and um, to, and it, it just marginalizes and it is a complete mm-hmm. myth and used as a tool against us in, in many, in many contexts, in the workplace, performance reviews, uh, mm-hmm. and to further make us more, um, yeah, assimilate it, or, or, or docile or passive. Mm-hmm. Stacey? It is, it is a fact that Black women and myself experience anger. It is fiction that that's all that we are. And also to a yes. So I, I agree that I think it's a tool of white supremacy. It's interesting because um, it almost is like that we are so flavorful and colorful that uh, Megan Markle said in the interview that she did last week that that she got feedback from somebody in the institution that she was about 50% too much. And if she could be 50% less of herself, that it would be better. And I think that that's part of what happens with this notion of um, the caricature of the angry black woman. Um, the first brought the first episode for the podcast, I interviewed an African-American male to talk about the angry black man. And actually this is, that is the most um, listened to episode out of all the episodes, um, 27 of them that we have this at this point. And one of the things that he said that I thought was so poignant is that it's a tool of white supremacy because it is almost like people are trying to police your reaction. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and, and so they want to dictate how and where and what your response ought to look like. Yes. And that to me really kind of sums up everything that has been said today. And so I want to end on that note and thank both of you so much for being here today. This was a great discussion uh, and I can't wait to share with our listeners. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette, and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. davidsdeliciousdelights.com. Custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com. And use the coupon code being the dot for 20% off orders of $34.99 or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.